The United Nations Sustainability Development Goals have been a great rallying cry for global action. But did you know that they're set to expire in 2030? The next decade will prove decisive on achieving our climate targets. You're listening to the Levers for Change podcast. My name is Jimmy Gia. I asked each of our guests this season, what brought them optimism about climate impact? It's easy to become cynical about actions to mitigate or avert climate crises. So for our guests, what do they see that bring them hope? Several pointed to the urgency of the problem and the opportunities that it creates. Ben Cott, CEO of LightSource BP Labs, reflects that there are now climate carrots of opportunities and not just the sticks of punishment. Since COP15, 2009, so the last decade really, 2010, 2020, I think was really tough for the climate, right? We had a change in governments almost globally, which were increasingly less concerned or seemingly many large governments, certain jurisdictions less concerned about the climate, less concerned about you know meeting certain climate targets, being part of certain international consortia and so on. In the industry, there was a strong cynicism, sense of cynicism. The last 10 years, exactly my sort of time after I left Google and before I joined BP, is this even going to work? This, do people even care about it? You know, the regulation was always behind, never enough. The technology was there. The business models were sort of fledgling, were starting to be there, but nobody seemed to have an appetite to really want to scale it, and nobody said you actually had to do it. And I think, for better or worse, with the turn of the sort of decade, has brought us to a turning point. And I do think there's a realization now across every part of society and the industry that we have 10 years, we have 10 years to fix this or else, you know, I see this at every level of every boardroom now, all the people I'm talking to from literally people on the street who are now all open to that, wanting to do that electric vehicle boom or passion for that. Seemingly everybody want to have one, they're not maybe cheap enough yet. You see how some stocks performed in the last few months and so on. And that's, this is just the beginning. I think there's no way back. Also, the last six months have really accelerated this to a point. I think it was really important. We've now all internalized that there's no way back to the world we had before. In, in a lot of ways, that's a good thing. And I think that the clock is ticking. We're still not doing anything fast enough. We still have to be 10, 100 times faster and more than, than we're planning now, or we will be on the wrong trajectory. But it gives me hope that I see this has become so pervasive across society, across industry. And it has become a positive thing as well. Not just as, oh, we have to do it because otherwise polar bears will die and a few other things. But now the climate thing, which has been a big sort of stick thing, the carrot and the stick has become something very positive, something aspirational. Who would not want to have a home powered by solar with battery storage and drive an electric vehicle and many other things, right, that, that come with it? And I think that's the other thing. When I go back to the messaging we had before and the value proposition, people are really starting to understand what is the value proposition. And they want to live in that greener, better, more environmentally friendly world. Prachi Vakaria, who works with a number of transportation companies, saw the same evolution in corporate America. Well, I think we no longer have to wait and think of climate change as something far away. The forest fires in California, where you are, Jimmy, has made it much more real for us. And I think if you just look at this year, we've seen record high temperatures in Siberia, in Death Valley, in, in California, and so many other places around the world. So climate change is real. Natural disasters are very real. 
hopefully I'm optimistic that this will move the needle for us to taking again some of those big picture items and problems we need to solve. Uh, the other thing that makes me optimistic is if you know this adage that comes from the last federal administration, Jimmy, it said, you know, Obama sold more guns than ever. And it's because some gun owners feared that Obama was going to take their guns away. Today, we have a business world under this federal administration that fears that the federal administration is all going to act on climate. And that's why they are gearing up to take on climate change by themselves. So even if you look at companies like AES, right, they're not waiting for a federal mandate to, to start investing in renewable, which they've already been investing. But, you know, more and more of the portfolio is already geared towards renewable. If you look at, again, the automotive industry, there's so much focus on, on electric vehicles. And that trend is only going to continue. In fact, by 2025, we are supposed to have about 200 new models for EVs. So as long as you see more and more innovation in these sectors and more and more investment coming from the private sector, coming from corporations, I think we can be hopeful. For Judd Verdon, who's been on the cutting edge of technology innovation with his career at the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, he has seen steady progress, albeit behind the scenes. He's optimistic that the cause is becoming more mainstream. It really has been around my entire career. And so the optimism I have is, in some ways, how much progress we've made, both at the state level, at the global level. When I started a long time ago, none of the infrastructure was set up that even addressed things at the global level or at the state level. Our state of understanding is much, much better with our, our models, both the global models and the, the regional models. I think everyone at a high level understands the impacts and understands that if things are changing and we have to, we either have to adapt or we've got to get serious about mitigating. I think there's quiet successes, but again, not at the impact we need to get to a 90% reduction, you know, where we need. But what makes me optimistic is people keep fighting. And I mean that in the, we keep coming up with new carbon-free technologies. We keep coming up with alternative ways to move forward, cleaner ways to use energy, more efficient ways to use energy. Um, so certainly in the U.S., you know, there is some progress being made. And then the challenge is to make that happen globally and bring, bring everybody in the world along. At the global level, Jay Bruns, who's the senior climate policy advisor to the Washington State Insurance Commissioner, reflected on the greater visibility climate is getting from regulators across the U.S. and globally. But the actions need to happen faster. Like so many other people who are seized with these questions, I'm optimistic about the greater level of interest I see and the more and more activity that I see. Uh, but my big question is, will it come soon enough? <laughs> I must say this question about talking about climate change inside big insurance companies is no is not political at all. It's really tied to the health of the company going forward. And the fact that TCFD is getting more and more attention and you're seeing what's happening internationally, that international effort is also putting pressure, I would say, on regulators in the United States and on insurance companies in the United States to do more. One example is just very recently, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners has decided to create a task force on climate change. Now, a task force in NEIC has a greater visibility than a working group. And it's interesting because this task force will be co-chaired by 
the California Insurance Commissioner and the head of NAIC, who's the insurance commissioner for South Carolina. So the two of them will chair. The task force has 26 commissioners who said, we want to be involved with this. So that's just an example of how climate change and insurance, how the interest in that has just grown rather dramatically inside the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. On the international side, I mean, here's another place where there's been tremendous growth. Commissioner Kreidler was among, he and the California commissioner were two of just a handful who several years ago created an international group of insurance regulators focused on climate change. It's called the Sustainable Insurance Forum or SIF. It started out with seven or eight insurance commissioners. It's now over 30. It's got a pretty robust agenda that we contribute to. Uh, One of the things that it has been doing, and I've been part of the drafting committee for this, is doing a paper that when it's all completed, will give the International Association of Insurance Supervisors, this is the big worldwide group of insurance regulators around the world, they're looking for guidance on what individual supervisors ought to be doing in their own country when it comes to climate change. We've drafted a roadmap that any supervisor can use to say, when you look at insurance companies, these are the questions you should ask. These are the f- areas that you should focus on to see if the insurance companies in your, in your country are doing what the standard is internationally uh, for regulating insurers on climate change. Closer to home, Suzanne Singer of Native Renewables saw a rising interest from the junior high and high school students. One of the changes I've noticed over my career is climate action is much more embedded in conversations that folks have at conferences, in research as well. My niece, for example, is like very much into it. So it's been interesting to see how someone junior high, high school age level is feeling about these different issues. I see a lot more involvement or things like climate marches that people are much more passionate about than, you know, I have seen in the past. Or I think the passion of young people really gets, gives me hope about you know change in the future change for good a lot of the folks that we are training and recruiting a lot of them are young people and they're super excited some of my friends my technical friends ask like hey are you hiring because I want to go back home like I actually want to do something in our community so it's been really exciting to see how receptive people are to our mission they know it's a critical need. It has been for many years. It feels good to have that support within our, our network and even outside has been amazing. It's this next generation that gives Stacy Flynn, CEO of Evernew, her optimism. It's not just about the leaders of today. It's also about cultivating the leaders for the second half of the 21st century. I hope that it can't get any worse. <laughs> I hope now we've reached critical mass around there's enough critical mass that's aware of the problem and we're now going to start moving things in, in the other direction. I think, you know, in the beginning of my career and personally, you know, we're in business to make money. 
And now with the climate change, it's not enough to just make money. You've got to make money and cut your impact. So it's adding a new layer of complexity. And I just feel like the generations that are coming behind us aren't going to take no for an answer on that. And that's what I'm preparing myself for. I'm preparing to provide some strong leadership around so that we can hand off whatever we've been building to the next generation and let them take it into the second half of the 21st century. And there you have it. Lots of reasons to be optimistic about our progress. As Judd points out, there's lots to do. And as Jay is concerned about, will the change happen fast enough? However, the growing number of people who are working on it, talking about it, and embedding it into their work and lives is one of the reasons to be optimistic about the future of climate action. You have been listening to the Levers for Change podcast, where we search for who has responsibility for what when implementing change. My name is Jimmy Gia, and the music is by Sean Hart. Please subscribe to our podcast for new episodes and share with a friend. Please visit our website at www.leversforchangepodcast.com for additional episodes, books, and other resources. Thank you again, and remember, when trying to change the world, search for your levers for change. Thank you.